if you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. We've been in Haggai for a couple of weeks, and we have today and next week we'll finish up uh, the prophet Haggai. I don't know if you've ever studied Haggai or not, but now you can say you have. Amen. Uh, if we look back and review a little bit. We established in week one that the Jews who had returned from Babylonian captivity, they had gotten busy doing their work or work that profited them, and they had neglected the Lord's work. They started building the temple, and uh, then they kind of got discouraged, and they got busy building their house, and they got busy doing their business, and they let the Lord's business take a back seat. And if you're looking for Haggai, you'll go right to where your testament split. The Old Testament and New Testament, if you go back into the Old Testament, just a few pages, you'll find Haggai. It's almost at the very end of the Old Testament. Uh, but we talked about the fact that chapter 1, God, through the prophet Haggai, told the Jews, you guys need to consider your ways. You need to think about the fact that you're busy living your life, you're busy running your business, you're busy living in your paneled houses, he talks about, or sealed houses, and you're living in with your stuff, and, and my house, my temple, is lying just here. You're not working on that at all. Uh, you, need to, you need to fix that. And God uh, encouraged them. They started building the temple. And we learned last week they had been working. Uh, they got started on it in the first part of chapter 2. And discouragement. They've been working about a month and they got discouraged. Uh, they, some of the folks remembered Solomon's temple from 70 years ago and how glorious it was, how wonderful it was, how extravagant it was. And they looked at what they were doing now and in their eyes, it just didn't measure up. And in their eyes, their temple wasn't nearly what Solomon's temple was. And so God gave, through the prophet Haggai, he tells them what they need to do to overcome their discouragement. And we said last week, the first thing they need to do was to look up. God said, because I'm with you. He said, because I've made a covenant with you. I'm your God, you're my people. He said, you have my spirit in you. He said, I have promised you that things are going to work out okay. He talks about his provision. He says, the silver's mine, the gold's mine. And then finally he says, I'll give you peace. So he says, we talked last week, basically God told them, it's not the, how extravagant the temple is, it's the fact that it's God's house. And that God makes a promise that one day, this temple that they're building is actually going to be more glorious than Solomon's temple was. And that's because Jesus Christ himself would be in this temple. Uh, but today, we're, not only does he tell them to look up, when we look at verses 10 through 19, we're going to see something else. So Haggai chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food. Will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean 
because if a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. And now carefully consider from this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days, when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, there were but ten. And when one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty baths from the press, there were but twenty. I struck you with blight, and mildew, and hail, and all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day forward, I will bless you. Just like last week, Haggai told the people, or God told the people through Haggai, that they needed to look up and remember his presence. This time he tells them they need to look inward. They need to look at themselves and take a self inventory of their life and their cleanliness. And so on December the 18th, 520, God sends another message. And you guys remember when you read your Old Testament all the laws about cleanliness and uncleanliness, the things that were clean and unclean. They had so much that was clean, so much that was unclean, so many things that would make them unclean during the day if they touched certain things or if they came across certain things. They would re, had to be separated from the people, they would remain unclean until either they could bathe and be cleansed or until sometimes they could offer some sort of sacrifice, depending on whatever it was, why they had become unclean. So God has Haggai ask the priests two questions. And it wasn't because God didn't know the answer, and it wasn't because Haggai didn't know the answer, but God wanted the people to hear it from the priests. He wanted to hear it, he wanted them to hear it from his chosen ones. So question number one is verses 10 through 12. When basically he asks the question, really verse 12, if one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? So basically what he's saying here is if the priest has holy food, in the hem of their robe, and they're carrying it. And it touches stew, or it touches different things. Will those things that it touches, will the holy food make the unholy things holy? Well, the answer is no, right? Obviously, you can't take something holy and make something unholy holy. It's either holy or it's unholy. Well, the second question that he asks is found in verse 13. And Haggai said, if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. In other words, even though you've got holy food, if somebody who's unclean touches that holy food, it becomes unclean. So what he's basically saying is, is that the holy can't make the unholy holy. 
that's kind of hard to say and explain. Something that's righteous can't make the unrighteous righteous. Does that make sense? It can't be passed along. But on the other hand, something that is unclean can make something that was once clean unclean. So uncleanliness can be passed along. And so that's what God is trying to get them to understand. In summary, uh, what he's saying is, is that one person's holiness can't be passed on to somebody that's not holy. On the other hand, somebody's unholiness can make someone holy unholy. So he's trying to get them to take self-examination. Well, what in the world are you talking about? God says this temple is holy. The people couldn't make it any more holy. It was going to be God's place. The riches of Solomon is not what made the temple grand in God's sight, right? Solomon's wealth, Solomon's riches, the prestige of that temple. Remember when we read in our daily Bibles the gold and the silver and the jewels, how carefully planned every little detail was of that temple. In spite of how beautiful it was, that wasn't what made it holy. What made it holy? God's presence, right? The fact that God was there. Just like today, if we pass it along, we're, as Christians, we're God's temple, right? The temple lives in us, and that sometimes that temple is black, sometimes that temple is white, sometimes that temple is skinny, sometimes it's chunky, sometimes it is tall, sometimes it is short, sometimes it's athletic, sometimes it's not athletic. What makes it holy, what makes our temple holy is not the outside, but it's the fact that God is inside us, right? So he says you can't make it more holy. God encourages his people to look inward because while they couldn't make the temple holy, what they could do in their uncleanness and in their unholiness, they could make a holy place unholy. They could desecrate that temple because of their unholiness. Verses 16 and 17, God says, look at your history. He says, the economy's blown up in your face. He said, you go to get wheat and barley, you think you ought to have this much and you have half as much. You go to get your wine and you think you ought to have this much and you have half as much. He said, I sent blight, I sent famine, I sent all of these things to you. And then he wraps it up in verse 17. He said, yet you did not turn to me. You know what God's telling them? Did you ever tell your children when they were growing up, or maybe your grandchildren, you say, look, I have grounded you. I have spanked you. I have yelled at you. I have lectured you. What else am I going to have to do to get you straightened up? You remember that speech? Have you ever given that speech? Did you ever get that speech? Uh, that's what God is basically telling them. I've, I've done all, the, I've messed up your economy. I'm trying to get you to understand that you are not living holy in my sight. You are not living righteously in my sight. He said, you wouldn't turn to me. And you know what I wonder? I wonder if God's not telling us in America that very same thing today. I've seen natural disasters. I've seen terrorists. 
I've sent disease. I've sent so many different things. Yet you won't. What am I going to have to do to get your attention? And I don't know about y'all, but I'd as soon not see whatever else God has in his arsenal to get our attention. Amen. I, I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to turn back. I'm ready to do what we need to do to get right in the sight of God. But God says you won't do it. When we read in Revelation at the end times, there are going to be people that the rocks and the caves are falling on top of them and killing them, all these natural disasters. And it said, yet they would not repent. Is that not us today in our world? It gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse and instead of turning back to God we just keep getting worse. God's saying what is it that I'm going to have to do? But then look at verses and verse 18. Consider from this day forward from the 24th day of the ninth month from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day I will bless you. God's saying what's in the past is in the past. You can't control that. You can't change that. He says here's what you can change. From this day forward, if you'll get busy doing my work, I will bless you. He said the seed is still in the barn. And you have, it hasn't. You haven't reaped it yet. The figs, the pomegranates, you haven't collected the harvest yet. God says if you'll do what you're supposed to do, if you'll look inwardly and repent, I will bless you. And I will take care of you from this day forward. So let me tell you, when discouragement sets in, first of all, look up. When you get discouraged, somebody last week said a good title for this series ought to be Finding Encouragement and Discouragement. That really is a good title for all of this. When you're discouraged, and we're going to get that way. You see other churches doing this, and we see different things happening over here. And uh, I read in the Baptist Faith and Message, they, uh, they usually take a church and talk about how all these good things are happening. And, and sometimes you look at that and you get discouraged. You think, well, I don't know what I need to do. How, how do I find encouragement? Look up. Remember God's with us. He's, we're his people. He's made promises. He'll take care of us. But not only do we need to look up, we need to look in. We need to ask ourselves, is there something I need to be doing differently? Do, is there something I need, with which I need to repent? Is there something that I need to change in my life to put me walking the way God wants me to do? Well, how does this apply to us today? First of all, we need to remember that we can't transfer holiness or uncleanness or righteousness from one person to another. What does that mean? That means that I can't go to heaven on the coattails of Uncle Scud, right? Just because my mother or my husband or my father or my parents come to church and they were righteous, that doesn't make me righteous. One church where I pastored, it started, it was Eagle Creek. It started in 1885. And there was a cemetery out back. The first pastor that pastored that church was buried out there. Sometimes I'd walk through the 
cemetery, just kind of thinking and praying. And I'd, sometimes I'd come by brother, his name was D.D. Bird. And I'd say, Brother Bird, I guess things have changed around Eagle Creek now than they were in 1885. Wasn't things different? But there are people still at Eagle Creek whose ancestors helped found that church in 1885. You know, several generations later, they're still going to church there. And I had to remind them that just because you all have been coming to church, your family's been coming to church, that doesn't make us righteous, right? The fact that we're lifelong members doesn't make us righteous. We can't, you can't go to heaven on your husband's righteousness. You can't go to heaven on your wife's righteousness. You can't go to heaven on your parents' righteousness. My grandfather was a godly man. One of the most godly men I've ever met. But because he was godly, it didn't make me godly. Amen? That would lay the groundwork. It gave me the example to follow, but it didn't make me godly. What happens between me and God is between me and God. You can't transfer uh, things to other people. When I sold the house on, on, in Piney, when Marie and I sold that house, one of the selling points was that the flood insurance was transferable. Whoever bought the house got the same. We got grandfathered in at a cheaper rate. You wouldn't know it was cheaper with what they charged us, but we got grandfathered in at a cheaper rate, and whoever bought the house would get grandfathered in at that same rate. That's not how salvation works. I don't get grandfathered into heaven because my grandfather was holy. And we don't get grandfathered into heaven because of each other. We go to heaven, and our relationship with God is based on our activities and, and what we do. No matter how right with God my ancestors, my husband, children, wife, kinfolks might be, their being right with God does nothing for me except give me an example. Does that make sense? Just like the holy meat didn't make the unholy stuff holy, the holiness of someone else doesn't make me holy either. Secondly, I can't make anybody else more holy. I have to focus on myself. You can't make your husband more holy. You can't make your wife more holy. You can't make your kids more holy. You can't make your parents more holy. You have to focus on yourself. We are tempted. I am tempted. You are tempted, I'm sure. I don't want to speak for you, but I think I can. Sometimes we hear a preacher preach a sermon or read a scripture. We'll say, boy, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, they sure need to hear this. That would be good if they could hear this. There was a fellow in a church that a preacher wanted to preach a message to him but didn't want to call him out. So he preached a message dealing with what this guy was going through and what he was doing. And after it was over, the guy said, Preacher, that sure was a good message. You told him today. Well, a couple of weeks later, there was about half that many people there. So the preacher said, well, I think I'll preach it again, and maybe he'll get the idea this time. And so he preached it again, and the fellow shook his hand. He said, Preacher, you sure sold him to the, told him today. Well, it got to be the dead of winter. There was a big snowstorm, and the only people at church was the preacher and that one fellow, the preacher says, I got him. 
Now he'll get it. And he preached the message. And after it was over, the fellow reached out his hand. He said, Preacher, if they'd have been here, they'd have sure got it. <laughs> but isn't that the way we are sometimes? So-and-so needs that sermon. So-and-so needs that scripture. So-and-so needs this. Can I let you in on a little secret? I'm going to tell you something about myself. Even though I'm your pastor, taking care of me is about is a full-time job. I want to help watch over you, and that, that's part of my job. But watching over me is a full-time job. I got news for y'all. Watching over you, watching over you is a full-time job too. Now, that, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean we don't help each other. It certainly doesn't mean if we see a brother or sister walking down the wrong path that we don't call them aside and get with them and say, Brother, sister, you're going down the wrong road here. But we have to realize that so-and-so needs to get his life together. I'm the so-and-so. I need to take the two-by-four out of my eye before I can see to get the sawdust out of somebody else's eye. Because you know when we get right with God, when we don't worry about anybody else but we get right with God, several things happen. When we get right with God, God can use us then to be salt in the world. He said, be the salt of the earth. Salt is used to give flavor. Salt is used to preserve. If we're not if our walk and our talk don't match, we can't be salt to people. If we get right with God, God can make us light. And it's not our light, it's the fact that Jesus Christ's light shines through us. If we're not right with God, we've got a basket on top of our life. Remember the parable that Jesus taught about that? He said, does a man buy a lamp to put a basket over it? No, he buys it so to let, so let the light shine bright. God wants to shine bright through me. He wants to shine bright through you. But if we won't let him, if we won't examine our righteousness, if we don't look inward and do a self-reflection, God can't use us the way he wants to. They started doing something crazy at work now in our annual reviews. Used to, they'd give us our reviews and the, you know, the our boss would just say we're rated from one bad to five excellent and, and everybody would get a three. That's generally what most everybody got because you get a little raise if you get a three. Well, they've changed that now. Now, as an employee, I have to take stock of my own job. And I'll, they'll say, they ask me, what have you accomplished in the past year? What are your good things that you've done? What are things you need to work on? We, they're crazy enough to make us want to take self-reflection. Which as an employee I hate, but as a boss I think that's terrific. Because quite often are we not our own? We know what we need to fix, don't we? Most generally. Isn't that true spiritually as well? When we take self-reflection, we talked in our Sunday school this morning. Most of us know when we have unconfessed sin in our life, we know what we need to do. We need to do it so God can let us be light. 
If I focus on being with God and helping and letting God get that two by four out of my eyes, then maybe I can be an example to somebody else so they can get their right, their lives right in the sight of God. But just like I can't make somebody more holy, sin is contagious. While we can't make a person holy, our sin can rub off on others and make them as sinful as we are. The perfect example of that, and we're not going to read it for time's sake, but do you remember when Joshua and the Israelites were getting ready to conquer the land of Canaan? And the first city they come to conquer is Jericho. Jericho is a fortified city. It's got thick walls around it. And God told them, here's the battle plan, guys. You're going to march around this wall, this city, for seven days. And on the seventh day, we're going to blow a trumpet, and y'all are going to shout, and the wall's going to fall down. Doesn't that sound crazy? God says, that's our battle plan. He says, by the way, you will conquer Jericho. He says, and when you conquer it, you do not take anything out of it. Everything in that city belongs to me. If you take it, you'll be taking the accursed things. It's got a curse on it. Don't mess with that stuff. Well, sure enough, they walked around the wall for seven days. On the seventh day, they blew the trumpet. They hollered. The walls fell. And this fellow named Achan got some of that stuff. And he hid it in the tent. His tent. Well, the next town they conquer is Ai. And to put this in perspective, conquering Jericho would have been like conquering Nashville. And then the next town you have to conquer is Craigiehoe. Y'all know where Craigie Hope's at? It's a little bitty town on the outside of Kingston Springs. You, you gotta, there might be five people in Craigie Hope. And that's what AI was. And as a matter of fact, they got ready to conquer the city. They said, we don't need all these. We just need a small army to go conquer AI. We conquered Nashville. Craigie Hope, that's not going to give us any problem at all. So they go to battle at Ai, and they're defeated. 36 men got killed. They're depressed. They're defeated. Joshua says, God, what in the world is going on? Why? You, you let us conquer Jericho, and now Ai? What's up? And God says, let me tell you what you do, Joshua. There's sin in the camp. He said, somebody's taken the accursed thing. And so Joshua divides the people into family groups. They find out that Achan, he admits, he said, I took it. It's some clothes and some gold and some silver. They took Achan, his wife, his children, and they stoned all of them and killed them. And then they set the bodies on fire after they did that. Now, was God doing that to be cruel? In our eyes, it might look that way. 
But God was trying to teach them a lesson that if you have sin among you, I can't bless you. Sin is contagious. You know how contagious it is? You know why God was as bloodthirsty? We use that term bloodthirsty. It was God, the God of the Old Testament looked so different than the God in the New Testament. Matter of fact, there was a French theologian named Morcion that believed that there are two different gods. There was a God of the Old Testament and there's a God of the New Testament, which is false doctrine. But have you ever wondered how that loving God can do all that smiting in the Old Testament? You know, he would have them wipe out races of people. But do you know why God was doing that? God told them, if you let these people stay here, they will rub off on you. And sure enough, for the few people groups that did stay there, whether God allowed them to stay or whether the Israelites just refused to do what God told them to do and totally annihilate them, they ended up rubbing off on them. Israel went into Assyrian captivity never to come back. And Babylon, the Jews are just coming out of Babylonian captivity. Solomon, the wisest man in the whole world that's ever lived, that's what scripture tells us. He had set Sometimes this doesn't make sense to me. The wisest man in the world had 700 wives and concubines. How would a wise man want that many wives? But you know what these wives did for him? They took him away from God. Because he started trying to make his wives happy instead of trying to make God happy. Now here's the point I'm making. You say, well, what I do is just between me and God. Is it really? You ever have a sore toe? Maybe you get gout in your toe or you, you, you hurt your toe and you kind of limp on it. Does that sore toe affect the rest of your body? It affects all of it, doesn't it? Well, as Christians, we're all part of the body, right? And if you got a sore toe, it affects the rest of the body. Y'all ever heard of the disease gangrene or gangrene? Infection? It can get in your toe. It can get in your foot. And left untreated, it will take over your whole body and it will kill you. The only way to save your body sometimes is to cut off your foot or to cut off your leg or to cut off whatever's infected. If you've got a bag of potatoes, have you ever bought a bag of potatoes and then two or three days later you start smelling something? And in the middle of that bag of potatoes is one rotten potato. Or one rotten peach in a bag of peaches. It ruins the whole thing, doesn't it? See, that's what sin does. Just like my righteousness can't be earned through somebody else, on the flip side of that, my sinfulness can rub off on you. And if we're not careful, all of us will be living there. All of us will be saying it's no big deal. Here's a question. Why is it that a hundred years ago there are certain sins that would only be done at midnight on back alleys and now a hundred years later they're paraded right down Main Street at lunchtime? And I'm not going to get in specific sins. We all know that's right, don't we? 
Hasn't our world, hasn't the church gotten to the point where it's, we're accepting all of these things? That's what happens when sin goes unchecked. It goes from being sin to being celebrated. Sin is contagious. Also, when my life seems to be falling apart, I need to make an inward bodily change. There's a reason why God told his people through the prophet Haggai, consider your ways. He said it in chapter 1. He said it again here in chapter 2. Consider your ways. Consider your lifestyle. Here's my question for you this morning. Are your, is your walk and is your talk consistent? Or do you say one thing and do something else? Do you do one thing and say something else? Are you talking the same way you're walking? Do you need to pray to God to reveal to you what you need to work on? You know God will always bless that prayer. There's a couple of prayers God will bless, always bless. Number one, he'll bless a prayer of salvation. If you admit to him you're a sinner, you ask him to forgive you and save you, he will always answer that prayer. Number two, God will always answer a prayer to do anything that's going to make you closer to Him. Right? If you say, God, what's in my heart that maybe I'm not even aware of that I need to change to make things different? God will love to reveal that to you because if you're His, that's what He wants. As a parent, as a grandparent, what would you think if your child or grandchild came to you and say, Dad, Mom, Grandpa, Grandma, I need some advice. When you look at my life, what do you think I need to do to change to be more successful? Wouldn't you welcome that conversation? It'd be much better than the eye rolls you get when you try to give it to them unsolicited sometimes, right? Finally, when we get our walk and our talk consistent, God promises to bless us. Isn't that what he told them? He said, from this day forward, if you'll do right, I will bless you. I'll give you good crops. I'll give you good harvest. Now, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that everything in your life will be peachy keen all the time. Sometimes, we go through adversity to shape us and mold us and, and make us what we ought to be but God will still bless us. If I follow God, God will give me all that I need. That might not be all I want. There are some things that I want that probably are not good for me. Matter of fact, I can take the probably out of that. There are things I want that aren't good for me. Y'all can be that way too. There are things you want that aren't good for you. But do you need to look inwardly this morning? Maybe you've already looked up and you realize that you've gotten discouraged, you want to be encouraged, things are going rough. Look up. God's there. God says, I'm with you. You're my children. You're my people. You've got my spirit living in you. All this stuff belongs to me. You think Rockefeller's rich? You ought to see my storehouses. Look what I've got. 
He's promised us peace. But we have to look inward to ourselves and say, what do I need to change? What do I need to do? What do I need to adjust so God can bless me? Let's bow. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us this morning. And I pray that as we examine our hearts this morning that you would reveal to us anything that is keeping us out of the center of your will. I pray that you would love us. I pray that we would have conviction to change what we need to change. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. In Jesus' name, amen.